0: This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirit solved the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals, and each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash tonic. They can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. These are available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. Again, that is SeedlipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode 147.
1: Are you sure about that?
0: I am. I fixed all the numbers, episode 147. And we've got a great one, as per usual. We speak to Bonnie Wallace. Bonnie Wallace is the mother of Dove Cameron. Shane, you know that name. You know who she is.
1: We've interviewed Dove Cameron before for the MMVAs at my my other job, Much Music Video Awards. Dove Cameron swung by, and I think I talked to her for about five minutes.
0: And that was, what, like five years ago, and she was huge then. She's just getting bigger every year. And her mom, I guess, they moved out of a small town. She navigated Hollywood with her daughter, navigated the biz. And we talk about all of that in the interview. It's super fascinating. And Bonnie has since become an author, helping other parents, uh, you know, navigate Hollywood with their kids. And she's also recently come out with a phonics app to help kids read. So we get into all of it. It's super fascinating. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it.
1: So is Dove Cameron a stage name?
0: Yes, yes. Her name is, I think, Chloe. She goes by Dove because it's what her her father used to call her. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's cute.
1: Okay, and what do we have here in front of us right now?
0: Well, Shane cheers the non-alcoholic cocktail for the night is Seedlip spice 94 and tonic Ooh. keeping it simple but it's well deserved
1: i don't know about you alex but i'm sick of shooting the sketch show <laughs> at one point it was exciting and gave me energy but it simply won't end and it feels like we just can't finish the shoot and we've had over 30 shoot days. We've even had a wrap party. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, when you have a wrap party, it means that the shoot is wrapped. It's in the can. You just have to edit it. We had our wrap party, which was amazing and awesome and fun. But after that, certain things came up that we have to go shoot or reshoot or we come up with new ideas that we want to go out and fulfill and make the show as funny as humanly possible. But there's just no enthusiasm for it anymore because it's really annoying to be on a set after you feel like you've already blown your creative load.
0: Well, it just it feels like everything's a bonus, you know, but I'm curious because I've what this is already our third extra day or second extra day. And how many are you planning on doing
1: two or three more
0: two or three more.
1: I'm not happy about it. I don't want to do it. And no one else is into shooting it anymore oh
0: my gosh
1: like even today my two of the creators couldn't make it the you know nobody put in any work to planning the props or anything and it just it feels like a burden now
0: no you and i were running around to get props as we were shooting it was like, what do we need? We need this. And then we're running out and grabbing it. It was a mess.
1: Oh, I'm going to a kid's birthday party. Then I'm running to Value Village so I can look like Phil Jackson in a sketch. <laughs> I don't. I just want to have a normal life now.
0: <laughs> I'm ready for that too. I think Lucy and Betty are ready for that too.
1: I want to get back on the Peloton.
0: Oh my God. I would love to get back on that horse. It would be, I need to, because I, I was in such a good mode. Until we got COVID in June, like from mm-hmm. March to May, or the end of May. I was great, and I was feeling so good, so energetic. And then I fell off the freaking horse, and it's been now months, mm-hmm. months. So you want
1: to get back on the horse.
0: Back on the horse. Right. Yeah.
1: That's the exp- – you don't hear that expression often.
0: Yeah, they, in Seinfeld, they say, no. what, is he off the horse? Is he on it?
1: No, that's with alcohol, and they're talking about getting off the wagon or back on the wagon.
0: You, okay, but what – What's the difference between the horse the horse just pulls the wagon?
1: I don't make up the expressions, but I'm telling you what the (laughs) expressions are. And when the Seinfeld episodes about being on the wagon or off the wagon and whether people know if you start drinking again, does that mean you're back on the wagon or you've (laughs) fallen off the wagon?
0: Well, I want to get back on the metaphorical horse, which is my Peloton. And I'm very excited, too. I just I need to feel that. I just feel like a noodle. You know, like my arms and legs just feel like limp noodles that have zero strength in them. Alex, you
1: can stop shaking. You're, I'm just, I'm it's affecting to, the microphone.
0: Shane, I'm trying to show you how noodly I am.
1: I get what a noodle is, but this is for the listeners.
0: All right. Well, I'm shaking my arms because I feel like they just like just. It's they're just this just just cord limp. is hitting. Mm, thank okay. you. But anyway, Shane. We're not wrapped the show, even though we had a rap party. And that rap party, I want to talk about right now. Because that was one of the first nights out that you and I have had in a very long time. And it was super fun.
1: Yeah, and drinks were flowing. They I'm were free. St- I'm still. They were free. But we pay for it, kind <laughs> of. And um, <laughs> I'm still a little tired from it. <laughs> Are you? I'm feeling the residual effects of partying. Yeah, I hadn't partied in a long time. But my mom, who... I hadn't seen her party in a long, long time, and she—my mom has cancer. She's sick. She was out till four a.m.
0: It was what well, Shane and I went home, like back to our hotel at one a.m.
1: Which felt like four a.m. when we were twenty-five. Oh my gosh! Well, right yeah. now, one a.m. might—it f- might even feel like five a.m. when we were twenty-five.
0: How do you think your mom was able to just like physically stay up that late? Was she on Red Bull or something?
1: I think we showed some sketches at the party. And I think my mom has never seen other people laugh at anything I've done. (laughs) Like, you know that feeling, like, let's say you go see Superbad opening night and the theater's packed and the the collective audience is all laughing at the same time. The movie seems way funnier. Mm -hmm. I've seen Superbad in theaters and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And then I watched it at home with my arms crossed, just (laughs) thinking, oh, this was much funnier when I saw it with the audience encouraging me to laugh. So... I think my mom seeing other people laugh at something I helped create made her think it was better than it was, or it was the first time she'd ever felt like, oh, my son is actually funny. And she felt proud and that that pride was giving her adrenaline to stay up and she wanted to tell everyone that's my son Mm -hmm. to give her more social status or something. (laughs) So she liked that kind of adulation and people were loving her.
0: Yeah, it definitely worked. It definitely worked. She spoke to every single person at bar, but I want to ask because if that pride was enough to propel her till 4 in the morning, which is insane. Do you like how bad did she think your stuff was before? Did did she ever feel embarrassed for you and things that you created?
1: I would think so. I I think that neither of my parents really even like they know intellectually I'm supposed to be a funny person. <laughs> But I don't think either of them have ever necessarily laughed at anything I've done. Right. Like I've never said, "Hey, look at this," and seen them laugh. Mhm. Mhm. Maybe privately they laugh. I don't know, <laughs> but I just feel like the pride is very private
0: yeah yeah and but a lot of people are like that but yeah. it was oh, tons of people aren't it was fun that night seeing your mom just totally wear it on like every sleep five times mm-hmm. over and it was it was very cute her energy was something that i will try to match but i don't i just don't think i have like the physical ability to these days
1: it's hard to get that excited. you need a big life event And even me showing it to people, Mm -hmm. I couldn't even get that high adrenaline rush to propel me past 1 a.m. Staying till 1 a.m. was an achievement.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I was like high on excitement and adrenaline. My belly hurt from laughing. My face hurt from smiling. But I still like at 11 o'clock in the bar, i was starting to look at my watch every half hour and I'm like, okay, it's getting late. But I'm like, it's only 11 o'clock. Come on, Alex. Like you are 33. You're fine. You can do this. And then at 1230, I was really starting to feel it in like every part of me. And it was hard to keep my freaking eyes open, even though I was happy and having a good time. It was so hard.
1: Yeah, you were trying to get me out of there. So I I deeked you out a few times just because I was getting (laughs) adulation. So I wanted more, but then it ran out and I left because my mom was hogging it.
0: No, but it was a really great night, Um, and it was funny because it was such a busy day, and again, like after so much time of doing nothing and not having any excuse to go out and do something, it was like that afternoon, I spoke on a panel at MomFest.
1: I want to ask you about it because I didn't really get to ask you in person. Yeah. Because everything kind of became about me that night, Mm. and I just selfishly didn't put the spotlight on you, but here we are. No, it's good. So how did it go? What was the best part of your speaking?
0: Yeah, the, well, I'll tell you the worst part. Mm-hmm. They had given us the questions the night before, right? Just just so we could know them. It, there's not much to prepare for because we're just speaking about our own life. We're speaking about postpartum mental health. So the same stuff I talk about on this podcast, like what it felt like to have a miscarriage, being anxious around my pregnancies, postpartum anxiety, postpartum rage. However, we get there and it is loud as hell in this place
1: okay so when, when you're on the panel people are still talking
0: yes because because oh, no. it's like the panel area but then after like all the panel seating and all the people there it just still goes on for like 300 feet and it's like then a there's a warehouse yes mm-hmm. it, it was it was it's a barn it was like a barn turned art community center thing and it was so loud and I already have bad hearing like you know how hard it is so for me to be to hear something properly, I need to be looking at the person to look at their lips and I need to be focusing in on what they're saying. Otherwise I'll like take in too many extraneous sounds. Yeah. So she asked us a question, the first question, which she didn't tell us like beforehand and I couldn't hear it. So then I took the mic from her and I just had to pass it to the next person because I just, I couldn't hear. And then I was waiting for them to say, their answers so then i finally pieced the question together and then i went to take the mic and i was about to say my answer (laughs) and then she's like all right next question (laughs) so i was like oh crap
1: couldn't you just grab the mic and say excuse me i'm sorry i didn't hear you and make it like cute or something
0: i i could have but i was like you know what i'll just i'll get it and then it's just gonna be a perfect flow because i'll just go last but then uh i got i got a little jumped on there but it was fine so that was the worst part But the best part was I think just getting up there because I was still anxious Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think anytime you speak, you know, to a group of people, especially to a bunch of strangers, it is nerve wracking. Even if you're confident in what you're saying, you don't have to practice what you're saying. You know what it's your life. It's still nerve wracking because you're seeing these people for the first time and you're thinking, I mean, again, no matter what a confident person you are, you're thinking, are they going to like me? Am I going to come across genuine, authentic? And you know, you you want to be liked. You don't want to go and take time out of your day and speak at a convention and do a shit job and have everybody hate you.
1: So wait, are we talking about the best part? And if so, what is yeah. it? This
0: <laughs> so the best part. The best was, part is what? Even though I was anxious, you know, getting the mic and saying what I wanted to say and being able to find the space to like, you know, kind of just be funny and say what was coming in my head at that time, and just kind of roll with it. Okay, and do a good job.
1: Generalizations. Tell me what was your funny moment? I want to hear an anecdote.
0: Oh well, I I told the audience I was describing the mom rage that I felt, and then I said how one day in the kitchen. I felt like I was just staring at you and kind of shaking and I couldn't bring the words out of her mouth. And I just wanted to slap you across the face. Like I wanted to like hit
1: you. I, <laughs> oh my God.
0: And then I ran out and I, I went in the bathroom because I knew I had to get myself out of the situation. And I just started crying for like an hour. And as I'm telling this story and I'm kind of, I'm saying it in a humorous way oh, though. Of course.
1: Domestic <laughs> assault.
0: And. Uh, I met eyes, everybody's like looking at me either with like Mm -hmm. empathy or like, oh, this is a fun story to share. But then I met eyes with this one older woman and she just had so much distaste and disdain in her eyes and kind of just really subtly shook her head, like real subtle. And (laughs) on one hand, it made me feel like shit. And on the other hand, it made me want to laugh so hard. So I kind of had to catch myself and it came out in like a little, like, like hiccup noise because I, yeah. I was trying not to. And, uh, but I, I just, I, I rolled with it and it it was really great. And then I spoke to some people after who had listened and it was just, it was really nice meeting a lot of people that listen to the podcast or were just meeting me there for the first time. So that, you know, you were talking about getting adulation at the wrap party and that's kind of how I felt after. Well, After this,
1: you, you were getting it on the street too. We were walking around,
0: yeah.
1: Fans stopping you, be like, yeah. "Hey, big fan of your blog."
0: Yeah, that was super fun. I felt very cool, Shane. Did you feel cool hearing that?
1: Yeah, just in the middle of the street. Because yes, because she kind of gave me a little attention. Like I'm part of your <laughs> blog a little bit. Obviously, <laughs> it's like a ninety ten split, but just to get that ten percent, I enjoyed it,
0: Shane. If you weren't here, who would I be ragey at? You're the reason that I got to speak on that mental health panel.
1: Oh, I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining a scenario where I it's reversed, and I'm like, I wanted to shake the hell out of her or something, and like
0: No, but if it's if you're there to discuss why that's difficult and how to seek help. And all that, I think it's a different tone. I
1: agree, and I realize there's a difference in how it, the dynamic and everything. But just if a, if I was to say that, no, it know. would fall so flat. <laughs> Not that I ever would, you know. But I mean, like if some man had a thought and was like, "I would never," but
0: no, I know it would.
1: It would fall flat. Like a lot of people would be shaking their heads at me.
0: Okay, can I say a highlight for the weekend? Other than where we stayed, which I have to say. And just give them a shout out. We did not work with them or anything, but the Annex was an amazing hotel. We stayed there by chance. Phenomenal in the heart of the city. Highly recommend it. But one of my favorite parts of that 24 hours that we were in town, Shane, you and I, we walk 40 minutes away from our hotel to get the best Philly cheesesteak sandwiches in the city of Toronto. Okay, These things melt in your mouth. They're delicious. The guy put so much heart into them. So we're armed with our, like, foot-long Philly cheesesteaks. Just, like, meat dripping, okay?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The place is called Ill Sammy's, too, by the way.
0: Ill Style Sammy's.
1: Ill Style Sammy's. It's right by uh, 299 Queen Street. It's west. It's right around the corner from there. And word of warning, if you do head in, know your order ahead of time. Mm -hmm. This man does not fuck around. He will be very impatient with you. There's an episode of Seinfeld called Soup Nazi. It's very similar to that in a way. He's also very nice on the mm-hmm. flip side of that. But I just want to warn people because I screwed up instantly. <laughs> and when we walked in to do our order, I didn't walk in enough. enough. And he's like, could you please walk in? Like there's people behind you. And he's like, what do you want? And, and I'm like no mayonnaise please in this and then he just (laughs) he doesn't like that i don't like mayonnaise (laughs) so he like rolls his eyes and he jokes about it and he can tell i'm watching because one time i said no mayonnaise and he put mayonnaise anyways Just be careful when you go to this place. And it's a fun experience. But anyway, continue with your... Sorry, um, story.
0: So Shane and I were, you know, we got our footlong meat sandwiches that are just so juicy. And we're looking for a spot to eat. So Shane's like, you know, I know a great grassy spot. There's a little park. We're going to go get a picking table there. We go in. And like every spot is taken. It's
1: a beautiful day.
0: It's gorgeous day. And there's only one spot not taken. And da-da-da-da. Like it happens to be... The picnic table, that Shane was envisioning, right in the sun, it was beautiful. And it is so weird because nobody's there. So Shane and I kind of like sprint to the picnic table, put the sandwiches down so we could start eating. And then as we're like, you know, a couple bites in, meat juice dripping off of our chins, we look behind Shane and there is a group of vegan activists prepping posters for some, a vegan pep rally that day.
1: Yeah, and- I'm thinking they don't know we're eating meat. But it did kind of definitely look meaty. <laughs> like it I'm looks like so meaty. I'm thinking, okay, some subs cuz it looks like a sub could be vegetarian, but most aren't and they know and they could smell it. So she comes over and she asks, "Are you an animal lover?" <laughs> <Shame>. And <laughs> what?
0: shane's answered this like you ask me or anything and it's like yes yes love it love it thank you <laughs> sorry mm. you go on yeah because that means I,
1: I just said not really because <laughs>
0: who
2: says that
1: because i'm thinking okay we don't have animals in our house we've tried but we really don't love having animals i like animals if i see them out i pet them and i do think they're really cute but I'm not an animal lover, and what I categorize as someone who calls themselves an animal lover is someone who's willing to house animals, and they have at least one, probably two or three. I consider those true animal lovers. So no, I'm not really an animal lover. Mm-hmm. But I like being kind, and I'm I I, be, I don't want to hurt animal kingdom, yeah. and I feel I do genuinely feel guilty. But I just said no. <laughs> but it threw her off her game. Her her little speech was. Thwarted a little bit, yeah. And really, I should have just said we're both vegans.
0: Yeah, and then just and then just kept going and leave her thinking those look like amazing vegan sandwiches.
1: Yeah, but she, and then she's she says, "Do you know what uh, speciesism is?" <laughs> And you're like, no, which I'm just like, contextually, I'm like, I'm now all of a sudden I want to impress teacher. And I'm like, yes, it's when we think we're the superior species. So it's like, we can kill an animal, but they can't kill us. So it's speciesism. She's like, that's right, Shane. And and she's like, why do you think that you eat meat? Why do you do it? I'm like, because I'm a selfish person. And I just, I know I'm selfish and I'm just being very... Honest, yeah, because I do think that's why. Like, I don't, you know, it's just easier and it's convenient and
0: yeah. And look, we we both done it. You know, I was veg for six years. You were on and off. I times. was veg. <laughs> I was vegetarian, but I was a good vegetarian. And like, we we talk plant based on this podcast. We have a lot of plant based experts on and guests, and it's awesome. We promote that. We do plant based, uh, you know, certain nights of the week. Uh, not like standard nights but they fluctuate
1: i screwed up too i i said i'm uh i'm i'm plant-based most throughout the week i go every day i eat the best vegan burrito i go have you heard of amy's bean and cheese burrito she's like you mean the the rice and bean i'm like nope bean and cheese she's like is the cheese vegan I'm like, nope, whoops, I just mixed up vegetarianism (laughs) and veganism. And she just thought I was the biggest idiot. And she's like, I'm just going to focus on the woman now. And then Alex was the focus. And then we switched topics because she wanted to be a mommy influencer. Mm -hmm. And then we just showed her your account. And it was like, hey, she's a mommy influencer. Look at all of her followers and she's got a, a TikTok. And she has a YouTube account. So then we just switched topics, took her card and left.
0: Which was nice because she was trying to convert us, which like all the power to her. She was very nice. Uh, But for what, 20 minutes, she hovered over us while Shane and I took bites out of our juicy meaty sandwiches. Yeah. And I kind of felt bad. Like we needed to eat lunch. We were on a time limit. So we just ate them in front of her while she gave us spiels.
1: Well, we told her, we're not doing this to be rude and we would never, because sometimes you see these yeah, yeah. vegetarian protests or vegan protests and people will throw meat at them mm. or walk by in meat suits or whatever they do. <laughs> <Maybe> that, <laughs> Just Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but I've seen stunts, like meat related stunts. <laughs> Haven't you seen these?
2: Yeah, I have. So
1: Sounds I didn't funny. want someone to think we were rebelling by eating those delicious yeah, same. sandwiches.
0: Same. But Shane, one last high, low light I'll call from the trip to Toronto. So guys, like I got mom fest, you know, Thursday afternoon. Then I'm meeting up Shane for a rap party in the evening. We have a wedding this coming weekend. So I'm like, you know what? I need my nails done, like my nails, my feet. I haven't, I don't have the time to get them done. And I've got four hours to kill this morning. I'm going to go find nail salon. So I'm walking along Bloor. And right by the hotel, there's a nail salon called The Ten Spot. And this, this is like a popular chain. Like they've got a couple in Hamilton. They're everywhere and they're they're known to be good. So I walk in and I get myself a pedicure and then not even a full manicure, just a, a polish change on my fingers. And I'm not thinking about it. I'm just having a grand old time, right? And then I go to pay. I give her my card, well, I, you know, I give her my card, whatever, and she gives me my bill, 150 for a pedicure and then a polish change. I have never paid, like, I think if I'm getting a full pedicure and a full manicure at the place I like to go to in my city, it's like 75 bucks after tip, after tip. But that's for like two hours worth of stuff. This was $153. I don't even know where they pull that price out of their ass because at that point, It's like I'm charging them to do brain surgery. I don't understand. They're not using products that are so much better than my other spot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I put the question out there to my community on this family tree. And I asked people the most they've ever paid and like the average price. So most people said the most they paid was about 80 bucks. Whoa. An average is between 60 and 80. Okay. One person get this, said the average price she pays is $200 for a mani-pedi and the most she has ever paid is 350 Where do you even find products that are expensive enough to warrant that price? You're getting ripped off. If you, that person who wrote that in is listening to this, my dear, you are getting ripped off. Like there's no way that can be justified, right?
1: Like, like are they like... We got a massage once that we paid over a 1000
0: well that was on our honeymoon, we're like in St Martin, living it up, and it wasn't just the massage, like we had like other treatments done too,
1: okay, maybe that's what this person's saying. maybe they're on their honeymoon, and they got some crazy manicure pedicure.
0: Oh my God, I couldn't believe it reading that, but anyway it I'm appalled. I'm never gonna go to the ten spot again. it just it makes zero sense. Shane, what is the most you've ever spent on self care
1: The massage we got that on massage. our honeymoon,
0: yeah. Because I think we got, like, a massage, but then we had, like, the water, and they were doing body scrubs with water constantly pouring on us, and then yeah. they gave us facials.
1: Yeah, that, that was a lot going on. I didn't know what was happening, but <laughs> I wanted to just experience something like that, and yeah, what a waste of money everything is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, eh? Just gotta, like, train your spouse to do these things really nicely for you, I guess. I don't know. Massages anyway. But... Let's get into our interview with Bonnie Wallace.
1: But before we do that, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make, like I'm telling you, the best basics that you can get your hands on for your littles. They do fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. The organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Plus, if you have been listening to us, you know that they have just come out with their women's collection. They're doing their second drop anytime now. This collection is called the M and West collection and like the children's line, it's simple. Everything is made out of French terry. Everything is ethical and sustainable and it is the same quality and coziness that you were like jealous of your kids for having. You can have it too. Everything looks great and I can totally vouch for it. But Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at mini or at mini on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code, this family tree 15, you're getting 15% off your order. They're available in a Canada- and in the US and it's one use per customer, so load up your bags. Again, that is minimiash.com and this family tree 15. And now let's get to our conversation with Bonnie. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me on this family tree podcast today. Really appreciate the time and I have been looking forward to talking to you for months cuz we were supposed to do this a little bit ago and you know, life things get scattered. But this is something that I am so interested in because you get to see show business from like two different perspectives. Your daughter is a star. There's no denying that. And you are a consultant. You help guide parents through show business. So I like that you have that very unique take. And it's something that's fascinating to me. You know, just growing up and seeing stars my age grow up with me like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Lindsay Lohan, those girls. And now I have a daughter. Like my eldest is four, and my husband's in the show business. He's in. He does TV shows and he makes commercials. And she's kind of getting interested. And it, I will be honest, scares me shitless. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we have had, and I know um, Cameron uh, Dove is was friends with. Um, voice. Uh, We've had his father, uh, Cameron's father on, Victor, and mm-hmm. kind of discuss the same things as well as their foundation. Uh, so again, just looking forward to delving in to this with you.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So how do you describe yourself when people ask? Because I know you are a, you're a podcast host, you're an author. You, I don't know if you are involved anyway in your daughter's careers, but...
2: With Dove, I, I do some very hands-on the more personal sort of management I do. I do some of that still. Uh, she's got an entire team, a proper, amazing team, everybody, I <laughs> can um, to do all the day-to-day stuff, but I still do a little bit of sort of highly hands-on personal stuff for her, which, you know, works for her,
0: you know, like being so involved in it. Have you always been interested in this type of work in show business?
2: I really haven't, actually. I mean, when I was in high school and college, I was interested in acting myself. Okay. And so that's kind of where it all probably started. Um, but then my life took a different turn, as as life does m- much of the time. And I ended up in the import business. And I was going to India three times a year. And 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 it wasn't until I was in my 30s and I returned to the island that I'd grown, grown up on Bainbridge Island where my kids grew up, which is near Seattle. And they had this amazing community theater. I'm like, you know what? that would be really fun to get back involved in that you know because it's really joyful. So my kids grew up with me doing theater but it was never something that I really considered per- pursuing professionally because because I just I, I was clear enough that to do it professionally so much of it was out of your hands you know and somebody has to say yes and the odds of somebody saying yes are so slim <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> i don't want my life to be about doing the thing I love, being dependent on somebody's yes, forget it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this as a joyful amateur. So, you know, fast forward and, you know, here's, here's Dove saying, we got to move to LA. This is what I need to do. And I'm just thinking, I can't believe you want this so much. And she was clear. Yeah. So I said, all right, you know, <laughs> let's go for it. What would, what, what, you don't want to look back and say, what if we? What would have happened if we'd only just tried? You know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is so fascinating to me. So you had an interest in it for yourself. I did. Right. And your kids probably are because you you have two daughters or do you have
2: more? Two daughters who are really talented. Both of them. Yeah.
0: And you know, so they're growing up seeing you get joy. You know, mm-hmm. and put in the work because you know I I'm I have my teaching degree. I'm a high school teacher, and I saw my mom teaching growing up. So I saw the work that it took, but I saw how much her cup was filled at the end of the day. And I saw the joy and the dedication that were went hand in hand with that. And I'm sure your kids saw that in you performing, right? Because it does take a lot.
2: I think so. I think so. And of course, you know, when they were old enough, they they started to be part of the community theater scene as well. And mm. and and they they really were grounded in the work and the dedication and the commitment that that took dove did i don't know eight she was eight to 13 she did five years of community theater before we moved down to la and and you know by the time she was done with that i thought you know you really have the work ethic i know you do So when do you take and
0: this is i'm asking and i'll ask you many questions like this throughout our time together tonight but when you have a kid who's saying let's move to la mom that's mind-boggling like when I was 13 you know these Summer Olympics would come on and I'm like that's it I want to be an Olympic runner we'd see the Oscars come on I go that's it I want to be an actress and I was changing my mind like the wind Bonnie and I'm curious because you do have that unique perspective of having the experience and now being a consultant when do we take our kids seriously enough that, we are going to uproot our entire life. Because, you know, if my kid wants to play freaking saxophone, you you know, we'll take saxophone lessons. But to the point where you're uprooting your whole life, how do you know that you're ready?
2: That is a great question. And I actually discourage people from doing what we did. What we did was crazy. (laughs) And it, it should not have succeeded, you know? I mean, looking back, I'm like, what were you thinking exactly? I think it's good to to wait in the water slowly for one thing. And you're right. Kids in general, you know, they get excited about one thing, they run with it. They get excited about another thing and they run with it. And and so as a parent, you need to make sure that, that enough time has gone by where the child is consistently, consistently over time, passionate about this thing. And and they don't mind missing a birthday party because they have to go to rehearsal. You know, they're never looking for an excuse to get out of doing the work of it. Like Dove would invent the craziest excuses to never go to soccer practice. You know, we tried, <laughs> we, we would, we'd be like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna expose you to everything like most parents do, like, okay, let's see what sticks, right? You know, here's T ball, here's soccer, here's, you know, hip-hop, here's here's theater. The only thing she ever wanted to do with the, was theater. She could be. She could have the stomach flu mm-hmm. and be literally like running off stage and vomiting into a waste basket. <laughs> and, and you could not take her out of the theater. Wow. So that was really clear to me, and And on top of that, by the time I was really, really considering doing this crazy thing, she was thirteen, and all of her mentors were taking me aside and saying, "You know, she's really, really got the gift you should strongly consider." Taking this seriously, you should consider maybe giving her a shot at going down to LA, and and she lobbied me. She lobbied me for the better part of a year, almost every day. Right. And so you know, we'd have little conversations like I'd say, like, "Well, what about New York? New York is so cool. New York has got culture. I don't know about LA." She'd be like, "Here's why it has to be LA, you <laughs> know?" And she'd done her research. So finally, there was this sort of overwhelming sense like. This is a decent shot to take, but also if I, if I was counseling another family, which I do regularly, you know, with, with my consultancy work, I would say, look, this is only part of the equation, you know, the child's readiness, their maturity, you know, their, their dedication, yada, yada, but the family, the rest of the picture is equally important, right? Mm -hmm. You know, are there other kids in the family? you know, what's your financial situation? You know, most most families who pursue this go from being maybe a dual income household in, in one place to being a one income household, maybe in two places. Maybe one parent stays home and sort of keeps everything under hand and brings the money in and the other one goes to LA with the kid to sort of you know, be there with them and give it a shot because because there's no such thing as a successful child actor without a pretty dedicated full-time parent behind them. Mm-hmm. Suddenly your income's dropped in half and your expenses have doubled. So it's it's really serious and people kind of gloss over all that stuff. Mm-hmm. In my case, um, my daughters are seven years apart. So, you know, Dove was 14, Claire was 21 and mm, she was helpful. off on her own. Super helpful, genuinely helpful. You know, I wasn't juggling other kids and and then the other thing was my life was at a sort of bifurcation place and I just gotten a graduate degree. I was getting divorced. I was sort of cashing everything, everything out and I thought, let's do it. You know what? If not now, when? Sort of. So, but it's a very individual thing, but it's not oh. right for everybody.
0: I can imagine. And I, I was even just thinking about the other kids because then it's, you know, it's friends, it's family, it's comfort that you're leaving into a world of possible rejection and loneliness. And, you know, you hear amazing success stories. And again, like I think of Cameron Boyce, I think of your daughter, Dove. But then you hear so much and, you know, being in my husband, like he just finished um, filming a show that will be coming out. But it's talking to some of the child actors that we hired for that even and what they go through and how far they're driving just for, you know, a job where they're on camera for an hour, which is going to go to 10 seconds of being on screen. It's it's scary. And I'm curious what fears you had and if you were ever challenged with meeting those fears when you guys started, you know, getting your feet wet in the industry.
2: Well, I think one of the genuine hazards or dangers maybe for a young actor is is getting confused with their identity Mm -hmm. and having, you know, having a confusion about like who they are as as a as a unique individual that has inherent value as we all do, versus what the industry is valuing them at as at the moment, right? Or that, you know, who I am is an actor. It's like, no, that's not true. Who you are is a person who acts you know, and you have to keep that distinction really firewalled because um, the kids who go off the rails are often the kids who have some confusion around that, right? One thing I felt pretty confident about was, you know, Dove was 14 and a half, actually, <laughs> by the time we went down to LA. And I say that, it's like, she was as close to 15 as she was yeah. to 14, right? And And herself her sense of self was pretty well established in an absolutely normal environment without any of that extra craziness and noise. So there was that. Um, and she's also an incredibly intelligent person. And I figured that would be helpful. But, but the truth is you can't know what's going to happen. And so you have to have trust and you have to have communication. You have, you have to let the kid know that if there comes a point where they suddenly change their minds for whatever reason,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, that they don't feel like, Oh, I can't, I can't veer off this path now right. because my family's done so much for, to get me here. Right. Which is like mm-hmm. a huge burden for young actors. Yeah, um, I, can I know, I know Cameron Boyce's parents, cause I know them well; they're friends checked in with him all the time. Like, are you sure you still want to do this? Are you sure though? No, <laughs> you know? I remember and dad saying
0: that. Yeah,
2: it's true. And and that's not a bad practice, you know, and and there actually was a moment right after Dove had finally gotten some traction. She'd gotten her first couple of guest star roles and and that kind of put her on the map. And it was like, oh, all of a sudden she was getting these amazing audition opportunities that she hadn't before. And she just passed the CHISPY. And so she she was eligible for all of these roles as a legal 18. She could work adult hours, even though she was only 15 still. And And suddenly things were sort of popping for her. And she said, you know what? I think I'd like to just have a normal high school experience for a little while. I think I'd like oh, wow. to step away and take a break. And I was like, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was more like I was scared of what her agent would say. I'm like, Oh no, you know, what is the going to say? Well, of course her agent is an amazing person. And this is another litmus test for parents. You know, your agent should always be about the, the overall well-being and health of your child and if they're not you need a new agent and that was that was what we had from the get-go so
0: yeah well it's hard to trust people in any facet when the bottom line for a lot of these people getting involved with your kid in the first place is money is what they can give them so to be able to have a relationship where your agent can say okay like you know what I'm going to give you this right now. I'm going to be so understanding. That's amazing because that totally diminishes their bottom line or it helps them because they say, look, when you're ready, I'm here and I'm, I am I want to take care of you in every way. And I, I think that's so important.
2: Well, that's exactly what she said. And it gave us such a sense of peace of mind and peace. Yeah. And in fact, it was only a couple of months. It was probably about two months. And I was like, you know what? All right, I'm over it. Let's go hit it. <laughs> she was yeah. back and then Everything took
0: off. <laughs> and you know, when when you're getting all these amazing auditions, right? Because it's so thrilling and it's like you land one great role and then it's like, I got this, I can do everything or anything. And then you go and you audition for another great part and you might really want it, and then you don't get it. And that can be so hard on a fifteen, sixteen, hell, I'm thirty-three. That could be so hard on a thirty-three year old ego. How do you help your child deal with that kind of rejection? Because that's like different than I feel like right now, you know, my my kids are so little, but it's like I'm thinking ahead and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with them, help them deal with rejection from people they like, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, school marks in school, teams that they get cut from, but not like adult things like big paying movie roles and TV
2: roles. Yeah. Life changing, high stakes stuff, yeah. you know. Um, Yeah, it's a lot for a child to process, actually. So I think, (laughs) interestingly, I think one of the secrets is to have the parents not be personally engaged in the sense of rejection. Uh. And I can't tell you how often I see moms, especially because we're so hooked into our kids emotionally, right? Like, like the reject the rejection, IE, you know, a thousand girls auditioned for this role and 999 of them were rejected. I.e., didn't get it. You know, hello. Of course that's the deal. You know, you feel like you're wounded by the fact that your child was rejected. It's like, don't do that. You're just piling on extra freight for your kid that way. If you can say, Hey, this is how it works. One down, another one to go. Like, let's move on. It's like another and another and another. It's like shooting baskets almost like a reflexive thing. Okay. Moving on, let it go, letting it go. If you can embody that, then the, the kid will sort of take cues from you mm-hmm. and just let it roll off their back, you know, cause it has to, or they can't survive it and they won't, they won't thrive and they won't be around for when, you know, things finally pick up for them.
0: And like, what do parents do when, you know, you mentioned earlier about how it's, partly scary when you're uprooting your life for this because one person is now, if it's a two parent family, gonna be the stay home parent, and then the other is gonna have to be there full time to help manage their child's career. So like I'm thinking practically, you have kind of money riding on this career in a sense. And even that can be difficult for a parent if it's not panning out and you're putting a lot into that. So what do you, what do you tell parents in that situation?
2: Well, that's where things get really dangerous. And and I have to say, you know, all those terrible, terrible, you know, tabloid stories about, you know, broken relationships between young stars and their parents typically have to do with money Mm -hmm. and control. And in the state of California, which is, you know, the biggest center of the industry in the U.S., we have really strict laws protecting children. And it's not super well known, but the money that a child performer makes, it's not family money. Right. it is not family money it belongs to them and you know okay a parent can charge some reasonable you know management fee to help offset rent or whatever the child should not be paying the rent the child yeah. should not be buying the groceries and that I mean legally shouldn't be happening never mind emotionally right um parents kind of conveniently ignore that a lot of the time or maybe they're ignorant but that is a way for things to go south. I think if your child knows that you're good, no matter what, like you're not in it for their success. You don't, you don't care about their success. You care about their well being and their happiness, no matter what, that's really, really helpful. And also I think if, if the parent doesn't actually try to be the real manager, like, yeah, I still do a little bit of like really small hands-on stuff for Dove because that's just appropriate and she wants me to, but I don't manage her. Yeah. And she has a real manager and a real agent, and I don't pretend to manage her because I'm not a manager. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like I'm a mom, I'm her mom, and nobody else can do that. And and children really kind of get shortchanged if the parent is trying to do both of those things. Because if you got the manager hat on, you're not really wearing your parent hat. And if you got the parent hat on, you're not really, mar- you know, and also you're probably not qualified to be a manager. Let's just be really honest here. I'm on a soapbox a little bit with this, but this is another place where, where kids and parents run into friction when the parent's like, well, nobody knows my kid like I do. I should be managing them. Right. It's like, that's not the qualification to be a manager, actually. Really, nobody else can parent them. You You make sure that they know that you are the firewall between mm-hmm. them and the world, that they are always safe because of you. Everything else can just sort of sort itself out.
0: You know what? I I so hear you on that, and I so agree with you on that. And I mean, I don't I don't know your take on this, but I feel like I'm on a bit of a soapbox in a similar sense uh, as a teacher um, with homeschooling, and I think homeschooling is so great in a lot of circumstances. However, I hear that a lot. Well, I'm their parent. I know what's best for them. But it's, it's like, yeah, but you don't have the qualifications. You don't know necessarily the ins and outs of childhood development, of teen development, of how their brains work, of the best way to get them information. So leave that. And then when you get into high school, like, are you a math genius? Do you know all about history? Are you focused in studying literature? Like, give that to the professionals. Give that to people that really, really know that. And then you focus on parenting them because you do know them inside and out. And I, I, really, I really hear you on that. And I, I think a lot of people kind of get their backs up because they want to be the authority on their kid and they want to be the person who knows their kid best. And you are, parents, you are. Always. Uh, right? But there's professionals in those fields for damn good reasons.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I kind of like the idea of homeschooling in theory. We actually tried it a couple of times just because Dove always – we're sort of a square peg round hole with school. And, you know, um, and, and it, we were terrible at it mm. <laughs> and it wasn't good. And I'm like, I'm failing my child, you know, cause I knew, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, and then she took a couple of standardized tests and she aced them and then she challenged a grade and she skipped ahead and all sort of worked That's out. Awesome. But yeah, but, Oh man, like, there's a reason that these are professions and yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I absolutely. And it's one thing I, I'm sure that every parent that's kind of taking the route that you did has to contend with at some point. And it's tricky. It's tricky because there is no, you know, when you're 10 years into it, stopping and saying, oh, I wish we did this, made this move 10 years ago, this move five years ago, whatever it is. And was dub I don't, I don't know much about her early career. Was she always in Disney? Is that kind no. of where she
2: started out? Sort of. So when when we moved down to LA, all she really had on her resume was a whole bunch of community theater, right? You know, <laughs> and some vocal training. <laughs> and we're like, but all the roles she'd ever had had been like sort of serious dramatic roles. So we thought we were aiming for dramatic film for her, and also yes, music for sure always. And then we got there, and of course, the thing is about being an actor you get what you get in terms of the auditions. Like they are, they are, they are roulette. They are random. It's like, oh, Tuesday, you're going in for Disney. Wednesday, you're going in for a horror film. Thursday, you're going in for, you know, a soap or something. And, and, you know, within reason, and this is another thing people need to understand that they can always say no to stuff, stuff that's outside of their Mm. own personal boundaries. Okay. Within reason, you kind of, Take what you can. You you audition for everything that comes your way. Again, within reason. So, as it happens, the first thing she landed was a two episode arc on Shameless.
0: Oh, that's pretty- right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not exactly Disney. No, but it was sort of in the in the direction. We're like, yeah, okay, gritty, serious yeah. drama. This is this makes sense to us. And then, you know, audition, 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 and and she went through this really hair-raising uh, pilot season where she came so close to getting several big things, and none of them panned out. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, you know, a bit grueling but it's part of the deal, right? Of course, yeah. And then, to our great surprise, the next thing that came in and landed was this pilot for Disney. And we're like... <sighs> Really? You know? I mean, she'd never even done comedy before. Right. And and I mean, I always thought she was funny. And she's like, Yeah, but you're my mom. Of course, you think I'm funny. But like, you are funny though. You're really funny. She's like, Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so it was like the biggest surprise in the world. She wasn't aiming for it. And first in fact, she was very, very, very worried that if she went ahead and accepted the role and was went down that path that it might it might really pigeonhole her mm-hmm. and make it very extra difficult to then go on and have you know the serious roles that she really wanted to have so for her to say yes to that was was like you know it was about 24 hours of serious soul searching honestly yeah oh i can imagine it it turned out quite well i think you know ultimately uh, Disney turns out to be sort of a boot camp for mm-hmm. actors. You you learn so much going through that process, and of course it gives you a platform. Um, and if you sing too, that's sometimes oh. a really great thing. Oh, it's huge, um, right? Yeah, and especially exactly. when your eldest
0: daughter is a vocal coach. <laughs> yes, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. Um, yeah. But, but uh, I mean, it turned out well, and, and Disney's actually a great company, and, you know, she's been out of Disney for years, I don't have to say that, mm-hmm. but it's it's true. They were, they were always really good to her and really good to us, but that's the reality of being an actor. You don't get to say, I'm going to do this yeah. kind of work, and then not even, I mean, you can, but yeah. good luck with that, right? And so then it's random. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and it's, it's that idea of having of saying yes to what you can, right, within your boundaries, within your family's moral standards, I guess, right? Because that's, again, what it boils mm-hmm. down to. And, you know, some things may seem great and you don't know until you're in it. And I think of like, I read a quote recently from Mila Kunis. She was in an interview mm. and she was saying, look, I never got into drugs and in, in heavy drinking and that party scene solely because... The show that I got cast on when I was 14, that seventy show, none of the older actors did that. None of the older kids did that. They'd sit around and play cards, maybe have a couple beers, but nobody was into drugs. Nobody was into going wild. And that really helped me stay grounded. And then I think of things like, I, I don't know too much about it, honestly, but like, have you been hearing all about Dan Snyder from Nickelodeon?
2: I am, I'm lightly familiar with that situation. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you guys, listeners can look it up. I don't know it that well, but it just seems like a really nasty situation um, with a, a producer. And this was all prior to Me Too. And he's yeah. working with young kids, right? And putting these young kids in these situations and Dove, like Me Too, what was that? Like 2017? Is Dove's, Dove's like 26, 27?
2: She's almost 27.
0: Okay. So she would have been like a teenager bef- before this time, right? And in this mm-hmm. time. And was that ever a situation that like crossed your mind? Like you hear about actresses like forever talking about this kind of thing. And I think that as a mom and I have two daughters as well, I don't know how I'd not be able to like be in every room and be poking around corners because I'd be so scared of things like that. And I'm just curious as a parent how you how you manage that.
2: Well, it's interesting and it is a big deal and it is incredibly important for parents to be basically right there. There's a sag after rule that parents are supposed to be within sight and sound of their minor actor children. And and that's really serious and and that's part of why again one of the parents if the child's really working constantly it's hard for them to do anything else because they are within sight and sound on a set, you know, maybe five days a week, as I was for four years with Dove, on a show or on movie sets, maybe, you know, on location somewhere. But it's a rule that works and it's a rule that makes sense and it protects everybody. And I literally was there. I was there on set with her every time she was doing anything until she was, I don't know, 19. I mean, it didn't stop the minute she turned 18, you know, and, and in part because she wanted me there, not because like, oh my God, mommy protect me from the bad people. More like the real support is just necessary because it's crazy hard work. These kids are working such long hours. I mean, because she was a legal 18 at such a young age, she was working adult hours, which aren't eight hours a day. Thank you very much. They're 12 plus they're often 14. Um, and for someone who's still the teenager, that's a lot and they need literal support. So I was pretty much always there. And we were also crazy lucky, you know, mm-hmm. the, the live and Maddie set from everything I've seen and heard, you know, was a very special one. And the people were really special and exceptionally great so many of the adults on that set said that it, it, it was the best experience they that's ever crazy. had in their careers. Right. So we were just lucky and it was, it was safe and it was kind, mm-hmm. you know. but you, you have to be there because if something's happening that you're not comfortable with, or your child's not comfortable with as the parent, you have to be the advocate and you have to speak up. And if you're not comfortable doing that, that's actually why your child has an agent or a manager, and you use them and triangulate and have them be the bad guy so that you don't have to be the bad guy, but you're the eyes and ears on the ground. And then I guess
0: too, right? Like when you said about walking away from things for whatever reason, you take what you can get, but then if it's not within your scope, not within your boundary, you can walk away from it. And did you guys ever have to make that like tough decision? Like, hey, maybe this isn't the best set. Maybe it's not the best vibe. Maybe whatever. Let's find something else
2: that's difficult to do yeah. because if you're contractually (laughs) obligated and then you're like in the middle of filming and you quit Mm -hmm. um you have basically thrown a wrench into the entire production and you could be sued you know like it's it's a it's a massive the fallout from that is crazy there was one there was one set that I would call a loose set Okay. Uh, this, by the way, I'm not going to any I'm not going to do anything to identify this, but I can say it it wasn't Disney. It Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with Disney, but it was a loose set. In as much as the um, the director really, really wasn't properly in charge and. There were there were shenanigans going on and and power plays and a lot of emotional freight flying around, and it wasn't a very safe place emotionally. And and we leaned into her team mm-hmm. to help come up with strategies to firewall her and protect her That's from amazing. as much of that as possible. And that was kind of what was available to us. But we did that and, and got through it. All right, Bonnie, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners
0: know who we're supported by. We're supported by Bravado Designs. They make... The best nursing bras that you can get your hands on. And you've known this. I've been talking about this. Bravado Designs nursing collection has been out for a long time. It's quality, it's practical. I don't know why these, like the nursing clips, are easier on these bras than others, but they are. Not only that, but the quality and the comfort levels are through the roof. I remember when I was nursing Lucy and I couldn't, like, I couldn't even wear a cotton t shirt because my nipples were raw, they hurt, it was awful. I'd live in a Bravado Designs nursing bra. It was amazing. And now, even though I have fully successfully, thank you, weaned Betty, it's been a long time coming, but they have an everyday collection. So these bras do not have clips. They are not for nursing mothers or for anybody with boobs. And it's the same quality and comfort that you fell in love with. So I feel so excited to be able to continue my journey with Bravado Designs. But you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. That's a big deal. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. We're also supported by True Earth. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprints. This is a big deal to us because with four people in our family, we make so much fricking garbage. It's a lot. Not only that, but, you know, our environmental cost of living, just it gets exponential when you start having kids. So one way that we chose to tackle this is by trying to eliminate single-use plastics in our household. And we have been doing a great job. And if you want to start to, one way that you can even narrow that down more is by eliminating laundry detergent jugs, okay? This is such an easy step. We discovered the True Earth laundry detergent, what, like over a year ago? And we have not looked back. This detergent comes in these like pre-measured soluble strips. They kind of feel like paper. And you simply rip them apart, toss them into your wash, and they dissolve and do a beautiful job cleaning your clothes. It is so easy, and of course, no plastic. And because the packaging is so compact, it has drastically changed how our laundry room looks. It's made it so tidy. And as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin, we usually go for their baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, it's gentle on everyone's skin, and it's still so tough on dirt. Our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean, but they do have a new scent now called Lilac Breeze. Shane is partial to it. It is beautiful, but check it out. You will not regret this decision, and it's a really great way to start, you know, taking environmental footprints seriously. Seriously and making those changes in your life. So check out True Earth Detergent at True.Earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 to get 10% off your order. Again, that is True.Earth and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get to our talk with Bonnie. No, that's amazing. And again, the importance of leaving certain things into the hands of professionals because it is so crucial, right? And not just legally for you as a parent but for your kid to protect them and I think that's you know the bottom line message that I want listeners to be getting here if you are getting into this kind of business with your kids if you're getting into sports with your kids you be there but delegate and I I don't think that can be understated and I agree yeah and like even as they get older and today is national Coming out day. Right. And I know Dove uh, came out as queer a few Mm -hmm. years ago. And even something like that, you know, which typically like people that I know that have come out um, is usually done first, you know, in a quiet family setting and things like that. They don't have a stage with approximately 50 million Instagram followers (laughs) to be doing that on. And I'm curious as a parent and again, a consultant, because you do have a foot in both worlds. What is it like to deal with these things publicly, whether it's an issue of your child talking about stress or something that's difficult for them or coming out as queer or whatever it may be? How do you kind of touch base with your kid when these things are happening with such an audience?
2: Oh, man, that's actually a big question. So I think something that Dove and I talk about a lot is just finding ways to remember that whatever people say online about you (laughs) is generally a reflection of their inner condition. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with you. Projection. They're just projecting. And that's just how human beings work. And so as such, you really shouldn't take it very seriously, which is to say you shouldn't take it seriously at all. You shouldn't really listen to it. It's a lot of noise. Um, I read a wonderful quote the other day that I shared with her along the lines of, you know, don't take criticism from anybody you wouldn't take advice from.
0: Mm, I love that.
2: I thought, you know, yeah. I mean, how many people would I really take advice from? Not that many. (laughs) You know, I'll listen to those guys and I'll listen to my own inner, you know, inner voice. Uh, But I think that's pretty good. And so I think for Dove, she came to the point in her life and she has been you know having to live out loud in the public eye mm-hmm. for you know a dozen years now which is really its own it's crazy experience it's a lot it's a lot of great to to carry um i think she finally got to the point where she was just feeling like I have nothing to lose in terms of the experience of the quality of my life by being absolutely transparent and I have everything to gain like because the the burden of not being true and transparent is a very heavy one mm-hmm. and and she was very very nervous about you know coming out publicly but but she was so moved and uh, and is continuing to to feel moved I think about the the warm positive loving like like holding her response that has that has been overwhelmingly the response that uh I mean there's sort of no other thing for us to do is there ultimately but but live our truth and and it's been sort of a nice reminder of that
0: no I I think that's so great because it can be difficult to live authentically when you just you know your average high school or 26 year old person's life it can be so difficult I think of myself in my 20s, especially in my early 20s, I was so <laughs> unsure of myself. I was trying everything. I was kissing everybody. I was just, you know, having a great time, getting grounded with my work and just kind of out there, but not really even sure of who I was. And I commend people who can do that and who can make these announcements and discuss these tricky things on such a large scale because it's so overwhelming. And like, you know, I have a modest when you're comparing it with Dove, Instagram following. And it is, even on that, it can be so tricky speaking truthfully and authentically. And I I sometimes, I try not to let it, and my skin is pretty thick. It really is pretty thick. I bartended for a long time, which really helps. But sometimes people can really get at you mm-hmm. Um, and like personally, you know, like I'm I'm 33, I've had two kids and that, as you would know, wears you down a little bit. And, you know, sometimes somebody will comment on like, oh, I, I'm seeing that wrinkle on your forehead. Are you doing anything about it? I thought you were doing this cream. And I'm like, shut up. Like, just let me live because I I personally am not a like I personally draw my line at like makeup and creams. And it's tricky, but it it's hard for mental health. And then I think about my daughters in Already, you know, my four-year-old's coming home from school and talking about being pretty and, oh, this person doesn't think I'm pretty. And it breaks my heart. And the last thing I want to ask you in, in that regard is protecting your kid from, you know, uh, a negative self-image or a deteriorating self-image or ego and what parents
2: can do to help their kids build that up. I think a lot of it has to do with our language. And certainly with the sort of self-talk that we don't even really clock that we're doing, but our kids are clocking it, you know, um, it's it's such a common thing for a woman or a mom to say, oh, I hate my thighs, or, oh, my God, I'm so fat, Mm -hmm. or, you know, any of the horrible negative self-talk that we say out loud about our bodies that is effectively Mm self-hating, our children are taking notes you know, and our daughters are especially taking notes. So, so I think maybe that's the first place because we can work on ourselves and we have total control over that. We don't have control over society, unfortunately. We have total control over what comes out of our mouth and what our actions are because they speak very loudly to our children. Um, The next thing I think we can do is, is again, watch our languaging about like how we talk about our children and again, how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about other people. So, If we just casually see somebody online or at the playground or whatever, and we say something sort of catty about their appearance or tear them down in some way, what we're really telling our children is it's okay to do that. And that's a thing that matters, right? We comment on somebody else's weight or someone else's appearance. It sends the message that, they're going to be judged by the same measure, right? And we don't we don't really think about that, but that's actually what's going on. Um so so that's another sort of level of the same thing. And then I think also if we talk about our children's accomplishments and their kindness and and all of those critical, important intangibles that have nothing to do with what they look like, thank you very much, or what they're wearing. Um, and same thing again, not just them and saving that special talk for them, but not for anybody else. Talking about yourselves that way, talking about everybody else that way. That kind of creates a structure for healthy, healthy self-belief, healthy self literally image, if you will.
0: Fine. So. I love you. I your your thought your line of thought is very much in tune with my own, and Thank I really you. love um, how eloquently you described what I was thinking. Yet I'm too tired to actually put into <laughs> <a> words. <laughs> that was no, that was wonderful. Um, and I can only imagine, again, not knowing Dove personally, the foundation she must have and the strength that she must have to have you as a mother with such a strong foundation and well, i think that if she's not at the age where she's appreciating that yet that is nearing cuz i know when i was 30 that's when i started calling my mom up every day saying oh my god i'm sorry for being such a bitch when i was 14 you're so wonderful and you know what i mean
2: she's she's actually both of my daughters are extraordinarily appreciative that's and they amazing. they don't miss a chance to tell me how much they appreciate me and how much that's they amazing. love me so it is amazing, and I'm I'm crazy lucky. No, you way.
0: are, and you know you mentioned accomplishments. And speaking of accomplishments, you have, Bonnie, so many under your belt. I know you're an author, you're a podcast host, you're a consultant, and you just came out with is a, a new the the we can, the we can books with apps attached. Can you tell me about that? Because you sound
2: amazing. Yes. Well, we can books is effectively a book building app. And it's designed to help children learn how to read. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, it's sort of like phonics meets shutterfly. That's amazing. So it's so cool. It's based on an idea that my dad actually had about 30 years ago when my oldest daughter, Claire was four and ready to learn how to read. And he was thinking he wanted to help her. He wanted to do something special and make a book for her to help her like really engage with the learning how to read process. And so he had this brilliant flash of insight, really, that I I have not seen anywhere else. And his idea was to combine a familiar image, photo from her world Mm -hmm. with a phonics keyword that could then be like the little keyword that unlocked all the other phonetically related words on the page. So, for example, um, on on page one of We Can Books' first book, there's three books in Mm -hmm. the series... You've got like cat, mat, hat, sat, fat, bat, rat, right? All those three-letter words, something A-T. So there's a picture of little Claire with the family cat, right? Oh, my gosh. And, right? And the word cat's right there. And, of course, she's looking at this going, that's my cat, right? Yeah. And, and it helps her because she knows already, okay, what the what the sounds of the letters are, but she hasn't really put it together yet. There's that magical age when they're about four, mm-hmm. as you know, where it's like right in there where they're kind of figuring it out. And once you unlock that, that is cat, and you've got the the image to help you sort of make sense of that, then the other words on the page are more available to figure out, right? Because they're phonetically related to that one keyword. So this was my dad's idea. And so he rated all the family photo albums and he literally (laughs) cut and pasted these books. They were Xerox, they were black and white in three wing binders. And they're like, they're family heirlooms. Oh my God. And he did three of them for her and he he did a massive amount of research to get like the phonics word sets and progressions that would like work for her little developing brain. And and then seven years later, he did the same thing for Dove, who, you know, we all call Chloe, right? So those were the Chloe can books and Claire can books. Fast forward 30 years, I'm sharing these with my husband, Simon. I'm like, look at these beautiful books my, my dad made for the girls. He says, you know. We could we could develop something so that thousands of other families could do this too. And so for the last two years, we've de- we've been developing this app, and you can just download the app, and it's actually really easy. The word sets are already there. All you have to do is upload a photo on each page that is some way relating to any of the keywords.
0: I love this.
2: Right. So like nice. on that first page, you know, maybe if you don't have a cat, it's the child in a hat. Or maybe they're sitting on a map. And and the interesting thing is our phones have thousands of photos in them already, right? And with the 60, search function... over
0: here, I'll say. So oh I, my could, God. I could easily <laughs> fill up these pages.
2: Right? I actually, I, I did a little exercise when we were first developing the app. Yeah. I thought, is this going to be hard for people? How easy is this going to be? No. And I, I made a challenge and I thought, can I, with the 10,000 in my phone, can I find a photo for every page that is appropriate yeah. that I would use, right? Using the search function so I wouldn't lose my mind. <laughs> and I was astonished, like if you if you search for the word pan, there's like 16 photos with pans in my in my phone. Who it's knew? So right? weird. Yeah. So you can do this with photos that are already in your phone. But what I think is kind of a fun thing for people to do and what what seems to be a very popular thing to do so far is to make a little game of it with the child mm. and say, we're gonna make a book together. Let's have it be like a little treasure hunt. Okay, here's page one. Here's the words. What would be fun? And then you stage them. You take the picture, you upload it right into your phone, you turn the page, boom, you go again. And you can build this book. And they're they're hardcover. They're here's here's an example of one. Molly can oh my gosh. That's adorable. They're full color. And every now and again if you get like really stuck on like I you know I don't know what I would upload. I don't know what I would take for this word set. Like I'm confused. Every single page has got a preloaded image. Oh, that's amazing. In it.
0: Okay, so I just I want to I want to describe to the <laughs> listeners what you're showing me, Bonnie. So it's it's an actual tangible hardcover book that you can make through the app, which is phenomenal. Because then it, it it doesn't seem like just something I think that's passing. Because even kids know that things that are on phones and on computers aren't tangible and that they're kind of temporary. But something like that, that they can get their hands on, they can take it to school to practice, they can be at home with it, read it in bed. I love that so much.
2: Well, it's really important. So there's a lot of studies coming out that that tell us that at any age, not just children, all of us learn better and retain what we learn better if we are reading off of paper, mm. not screens. And and this is consistently found. It's not super well understood. You know, some people theorize that, well, maybe that's because the screens make our brains work extra with the flickering. It's like a a heavier cognitive load. I don't know why, but that seems to be true. So kids learn better on paper. And if you're learning how to read, let's do it on paper, number one. Number two, there are studies that are coming out that say that kids in this age range who are on their screens more than one or two hours a day, they have less white matter developed. And that is the part of the brain that develops language and logic and learning. And that's really scary. So what we (sighs) want to do is is get the kids, you know, screens aren't evil. I'm not a Luddite. I'm on my screen all day long, unfortunately. (laughs) But when you've got a child who's ready to learn how to read, you want to give them all the paper-based opportunities you can. And then on top of that, there's something really intimate and special and sacred, I think about sitting down with your child or your grandchild or, you know, Mm -hmm. a special four or five year old in your life and, and taking the time to help them put all that together and sound it out and get their heads around it. Because phonics, again, over and over again, studies show that that's the most effective way for a child to learn how to read because it gives them the tools to break down a word that they've never encountered before. You know, this, this alternate, path with the whole word learning where kids basically just have to like memorize words. It It's fine for the first few years, but then it breaks down completely when they hit about fourth grade and they're getting into the big words and there's no, you know, clues for them to figure it out. And suddenly that's when a chunk of the population start to fall behind with their literacy and they don't tend to catch up. And then their lives are very impacted by that. Well, it's such
0: a, it's such a huge skill and I'm, I love co-creation too, so I think that aspect is amazing, but it's the skill of being able to break things down into smaller parts of a whole, and figuring out that one part, figuring out the next part, and just doing it step by step, that not even just related to literacy, but related to numeracy, related to bigger problems in life, like that is a skill that so many people, I mean so many adults who do not have that skill, and I, I think phonics is so important. For that I reason, it, I, it, it's so it's so crucial
2: as as you were saying, too. So this is this is actually about so much more mm-hmm. than just literacy and, and being able to read well, you know, and do well in school. This is about your self-esteem.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, and a child who can read well in school, you know, has access to all the other subjects is, is going to do well with the other subjects because they have the tools yeah. to do it. But they also have this like, I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. I'm smart. I can figure this out. And that sense of self-esteem and confidence will go with them everywhere all of their lives. It's the biggest.
0: The I can figure this out. Ultimately, don't we want to help our kids grow to be able to figure things out for themselves, right? Like even as parents in the industry, I think it goes along with that conversation we were having. We just want to help them be the best individual person they can be, the best decision-making person they can be. So we can take a step back and watch them do these things with confidence. Yeah, and it, it, it does. It can start so simply with with phonics, and I th- I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 hard to come up with something much more important for mm-hmm. a young child, really, than helping them learn how to read well.
0: Yeah, and Bonnie, where can people download this app? How do they make the book? Like, where where can we do all that?
2: Well, um starting by the time our our podcast drops. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> the Weekend <Can, laughs> The Weekend Books app will be available on both of the major platforms, um Apple and Android, and you can also go to uh weekendbooks.com and check out our story which is pretty charming. It tells about, you know, how my dad made the first books and it's got little pictures of Claire and Chloe aka oh. Doug learning how to read on them which they did. Um and it sort of tells you know how it all works mm-hmm. and um it's all right there.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. And what about your books, your podcast? Where can people buy those? Listen to that.
2: Well my podcast is available for um subscription. You can go to hometown to and sign up for the podcast. There's 132 episodes. I spent six years putting that together and amazing. it's a virtual library um, of oh education gosh. and information. Yeah, no, it's 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 a thing. That's hometown to Hollywood. What other questions that you have?
0: (laughs) Um, Your books. Where can they buy
2: those? Oh, my books are on Amazon. I've got uh, the Hollywood Parents Guide, top young Hollywood actors and top Hollywood acting teachers.
0: And lastly, buddy, we can't leave out your consulting because any parents who are listening to this podcast who have kids that are into this might want more advice from you. Where can they go to find
2: that? Well, they can go to hometowntohollywood.com, but I have to say they're gonna have to hurry because Ooh. I'm turning almost all of my energy and attention to weekend books. And I'm gonna be sunsetting my consulting in December. <laughs>
0: no way, in December. Good. Well, good I for know. you. This is that's an exciting step. That's awesome. It
2: is. It is. Thank you. I'm oh very excited. I, I, I love everything I'm doing with Hometown to Hollywood, but I've i just want to give weekend books all the energy and attention it oh deserves. My gosh so passionate about it.
0: Yeah, no, I love that so, so much. And I can't wait to get on that for my girls, Betty and Lucy. I think they would respond so well to something like that. They really love things that are personalized. And I don't know, it helps them focus
2: more, you
0: know, when they Mm -hmm. can point out things that are familiar to them and they love it.
2: It's totally true. It keeps them super engaged. And I have to say, you know, for anybody like, oh no, you know, I can't consult with Bonnie. It's like the three books will be out there. The podcast (laughs) will be out there. I've literally hundreds of blog posts that are really helpful. So all kinds of stuff will remain in place as as help for parents.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) Well, best of luck with that transition for you and for Weekend Books because It sounds phenomenal. And again, can't wait to get our hands on some. But Bonnie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated this and I really enjoyed this conversation. And I found it illuminating in a lot of ways, but just like nice and entertaining. (laughs) So thank
2: you. (laughs) It's my pleasure. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. I hope you have a great rest of your week.
1: Okay. Great interview with Bonnie. Now let's get to... I didn't listen to it, but you know I don't listen to it.
0: I know. Sometimes I think that you might, though.
1: Really? Yeah. I don't know when
0: you'd have time, honestly. I don't know. But
1: the episode's not out yet. So how could I listen to the interview? Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Like at the time of this recording. Okay. Anyway, we're going to get to the mailbag segment. This is where Alex answers questions that have been asked by listeners. So let's get to it.
0: All right, the first question. How do you know that you're done having kids? For me, it's easy. It's just that you don't think about it anymore. I don't sit there and ever ponder if my life would be better if we had another baby or if, hmm, what would it be like if we had another baby? Would it be good for the kids? Would it be good for us? And I don't ever fantasize about like having, you know, three kids. To me, it's just like we're we're done, we're good. There's no little part in my brain that wants another one. And I think if you are thinking about those things, then consider it because I'll tell you if if you don't want kids and you really feel done, there's no question in your head. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I have nightmares about it. You say with me. I just imagine, oh, what would that be like? Ooh, that would be that would be rough. I don't I can't picture another child in life. I can't even imagine it.
0: Mm. Got to be tough. Like
1: outside of a, a like a horrible feeling.
0: Mhm. Yeah, it'd be really tough. It would be a tough adjustment. Uh, next question. Have you ever resented your partner and have you ever yes. taken them for granted?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. All the time. Those are like my two main <laughs> moves.
0: When do you take me for granted? Give me an example.
1: I think just human nature is you're always taking someone for granted. I'm taking the kids for granted. Mm-hmm. Lucy coming down the stairs being all cute, wanting us to you know spend five more minutes with her. It's like, get back up. I'm counting to five <laughs> or you're in trouble. But if this was, you know, my last day on earth or something, I would just give her a big hug or I don't know. It's just very easy to take someone for granted. And I feel like loved ones, you Mm -hmm. inherently are, I don't know, rude to them or something. Because you know that you've already shown them you're nice and you've proven something to them. Like I'd be probably nicer to you if you were a stranger right now.
0: You'd be nicer to me.
1: Yeah, because it would be less comfortable for me to be mean to you.
0: So do you think that you're ever mean to me or not nice to me?
1: Of course. I think you're only mean to people you love. <laughs> Who's mean to people they don't love?
0: Uh, assholes.
1: Really? Oh, I can't oh, be.
0: Only a, no, only assholes are mean to strangers. But that it is true. And it's like, you know, I think about growing up and any times that I was rude to my mom or had arguments with my mom. Or even when like Lucy and Betty, I feel sometimes like they just freak out with me. Like this morning, it was such a pain to get Lucy to daycare and she was just crying. She wouldn't let me put her down. She didn't want anything from me other than for me to hold her. And if I tried to kiss her, she'd literally slap me in the face because she was just in such an intense tantrum. And the second I take her to daycare, she's guy smiley and she's running around, you know, high fiving kids and having a great time. And I, I think it starts at such a weird young age because that's where the safety is, right? That's where our safe place is. But then we have to remember, because I do the same things, obviously, we have to remember that, Look, like if anybody else was going to hurt my person, like hurt my kids emotionally, hurt my husband emotionally, I'd be so mad at that person. I would hate that person for doing that and for wanting to hurt one of the people in my life. But then if I do it, Somehow you don't notice it or you don't think it has the same effect. But we have to remember that it has the same impact as somebody else doing. And it's like, I don't want to be the person hurting you, Shane. Like, I don't want to be the person making you feel crappy.
1: Yeah, you're making it so extreme right now. I'm saying like, if you drop uh, some milk on the floor, I'll be like, Alex, come on. Whereas (laughs) if we were on our first date, I'd be like, little a little clumsy. You know, it's that's what I'm talking about. I
0: think you should still be like little a little clumsy.
1: I know, sure. And there's plenty of <laughs> moments where I think you should call me Schmoopy and do a butt pinch when something's <laughs> fairly innocuous. But we don't. But we it doesn't have to be some big impassioned speech.
0: Well, no, I, I think it does. because No, it doesn't. Yeah, because those little things add up. And I just, I think that it's meaningful to remember.
1: Sure, it, it is. But we also can't be expected to be that way 100% of the time, because that would eat up an un, unrealistic amount of bandwidth.
0: Well, not if it became a habit.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to be nice a lot. Mm -hmm. But the question is, do I ever slip up and take you for granted? Yes, of course. I'm a fallible person. And if the expectation is to be 100% perfect all the time, that should be maybe the goal. But if that's the expectation, that's not fair. And that wouldn't be a relationship I'd want to be in.
0: All right, Shmoopy, that's a good answer. And now the next question okay no but i do i do think that's good Mm -hmm. uh kissing chemistry what makes a great kiss can you have a good kiss with someone you aren't attracted to is the kissing better when you've fallen in love the reason i ask is that my best friend told me she thought her husband was not a good kisser and i thought how do you end up with somebody that's not a good kisser so what makes a good kiss and can you have a good kiss with somebody you are not attracted to I don't, I don't think you can have a good kiss with somebody you're not attracted to. Because then even if they're doing everything right by the book, you're just not going to be into it.
1: But maybe you can be sexually attracted to someone but not attracted to them normally.
0: Yeah, but then I mean there's some level of attraction there, right? And that's important.
1: Yes. But, yeah, I guess you can be attracted to someone and have a bad kiss.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. But it's like I don't think that you can you know there's somebody that just does not do it for you and then you kiss them and you change their mind because their tongue does all the right things in your mouth like that just i don't think that happens
1: i think it could
0: i don't know do you think you're a good kisser
1: i think if i was ever to be shocked it would be someone to tell me i'm a bad kisser but i feel like I could, I could, it could be, of all the lies I could be living in my own mind, I feel like that is plausibly one of the lies I'm living. And it would just like ruin my world to find out I wasn't. And I'm not saying it's like <laughs> I'm some unreal kisser. It's just if someone said, oh, you're a bad kisser. Because, yeah, I've kissed people who are bad kissers. And I find them very unusual.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: to be bad.
0: Yeah, I've I've kissed some bad Kissers, And I don't even say like, you know, something, sometimes things happen when you kiss, like you'll bump <laughs> teeth or whatever. And But I don't think that that's necessarily the hallmark of a bad kisser per se. Maybe it is it's if it there. happens all the time. Yeah. Not, if it happens a couple times, maybe it's just the passion of the moment, whatever. But the bad kissers, I think, has mostly to do with the like weird tongue mo- movement maybe yeah obviously but like bad breath you know what i mean
1: oh yeah i had one i didn't think bad breath was possible i thought it was almost just like a joke thing and i had one where it was bad it it smelled like urine no what urine
0: how is that even possible
1: i don't know it always smelled like urine
0: that's that's interesting
1: yeah and i had one who the mouth went like hollow or something, and the tongue disappeared. What? And so you'd you'd be trying to stick your tongue in there, but there'd be like black hole of nothingness.
0: So do you think she just like put her tongue down to the bottom of the mouth and didn't move and just let you do all the the tongue work?
1: Well, the tongue was doing nothing. There was no work. I don't even know if she knew I was moving my tongue (laughs) because it was just nothing in there. (laughs) So I just gave up, and it's just I just like you know in the movies they just hold their mouth open. Yeah, I was doing that.
0: That's hilarious. And I
1: was embarrassed, and I didn't know if it was being pranked in a way. Hmm. Interesting. It, it was very strange.
0: Interesting. See, I've, I've kissed people that just have been like so. Um, they don't know what to do with their hands. Or something like that, or like their eyes, you know, you kind of look up and you just see the person like wide eyed, completely staring at you. Yeah, it's I can do that. Kinda weird. Yeah, but it it's that it makes a difference. And I think because I know you have done that and I've done that too. I think we both met eyes accidentally. But I think that has to do with the level of attraction in that person, because you could do it and me being attracted to you. I wouldn't think anything of it. But somebody that I wasn't attracted to, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is weird. This is terrible. Get mm-hmm. me out of here.
1: Yeah, are you a good kisser?
0: I think I'm an enthusiastic kisser, which isn't always good. But I think I'm, I think I'm a good kisser. Mm-hmm. What do you think about me?
1: Yeah, I would say you're an enthusiastic kisser. My only thing, like in a lot of <laughs> ways, it's just you're always at a hundred percent, and you have gotten, you have learned.
0: I know to I tone have. down,
1: but it was always at like a hundred and fifty percent. There was no, I couldn't sneak a little cute kiss with you in the line at a movie theater because it would be like we were alone together. That type of thing.
0: Like I just want to make out.
1: And you don't you you would never stop.
0: Okay, I I stop now.
1: I know. And that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my only thing but you you do everything good.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask like the technicality of it is nice. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. Settled. Next question. GoFundMe pages. Do you think it looks bad if people set them up for themselves? I I don't. I think it has it depends on what the issue is and what's going on and how they discuss it. But I think that it takes a lot of humility for somebody to say, hey, we need help with this. We're going through this in our lives. Is anybody able to help us? I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Because you're, you're really putting yourself in a vulnerable place. But like, I know a girl who I went to Western University with. And, I don't know, we were out of school for, like, two years. And then she got a job at a PR firm in Toronto. And she started a GoFundMe page for herself to get a new designer wardrobe so that she could look good in her new PR job. Yeah. And that, it, again, I mean, she's putting it out there. And she's like, hey, guys, like, I want to look good who can fund my wardrobe And people put in, but that is obviously icky to me of all the things that people could donate money to, or that you can encourage people to donate money to. And she's like, designer clothes, because you don't need designer clothes to do well at work or to look professional or to look stylish. Like you just don't.
1: My friend started one because he wanted to be a millionaire. What? Yeah. He was just saying, Hey, if everyone could donate a dollar to me. Donate a dollar to me. I want to be a millionaire and I want to do it this way. And he wrote a whole God. thing of it. <laughs> and he made a bit of money, like probably almost $1,000 doing it.
0: That's wild. Yeah. That's wild.
1: But no judgment. I don't know. Anyone tries anything. So who cares? I don't even, I don't care about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I really don't either. Okay. The next question. How do you help your kids stand up for themselves and empower them? So, I went to experts for this online, um, some different parenting and like psychology, uh, parenting psychology sites. And what I got out of that is like, first, what is it to empower your kids? That's just the process of guiding them to feel and believe in themselves and that they are powerful internally and that they have confidence. And a mirror that back to them, like in your own parenting. And then eventually... Raise them to a point where you feel confident and they feel confident in their own decisions as like an individual person, right? Not you, not a little version of you, but as their own person. So ways that I found to help empower your kids, let them know that their voice matters. And again, like that has to be modeled at home in a lot of ways. Number two, teach them about personal boundaries, what they like doing. Like I know my kid's teacher does that at school, and it's amazing, like my, Lucy was getting like poked the other day and my mom was there and the teacher, instead of telling the kid to stop poking Lucy, because it was very clear, I guess, on her face I she didn't like it, the teacher reminded Lucy to stand up for herself and ask the kid to stop poking her if she didn't like it. And then Lucy did. And I, I find that that is such an easy way to help empower kids. Next, don't hide your feelings. Talk about them. Tell kids it's okay to make their own like safety judgments. Like if they don't feel comfortable doing something all the other kids are doing. Uh, Help them understand their challenges. It's okay to fail. You just do it again and you feel good about doing it again. It's the quickest way to learn. Uh, And then teach them to dream big. Like, you know, how many of us actually reach those dreams that we had when we were kids? Maybe some of us, maybe a good portion of us maybe not to the degree to which we dream them, but I think it's still so important to have them because that's like the first kind of goal we have
1: What was your big dream when you were a kid?
0: Well, my dream shifted constantly.
1: What was the big one?
0: Well, anytime the Olympics was on, it was to be an Olympic athlete. And then anytime the Oscars was on, it was to be an Oscar winning actress. And I Mm. uh, did not play sports competitively after the age of 18 and I am not an actress.
1: What do you think mine was?
0: To be a dentist?
1: No. To be a singer. (laughs) I would always sing at night. You should give us a sample. my mom would take me to bed and I would like just sing and I think no one could hear me but she could hear me.
0: (laughs) That's cute. See, I love catching kids in those little moments when they're Mm -hmm. just like doing their own thing. Um, Today, I gave, we were shooting Shane's shoot at my parents' house. So I went in my old closet and I found a Furby that I used to have. And I put new batteries in and I got it like semi-working and I gave it to Lucy. And Shane, She I don't know if she told you anything about it, but she thinks it's totally alive. Like even though she knows it needs batteries, <laughs> yeah. like she saw me changing the batteries. I said, okay, the new batteries are in it. it should works. It should work. But she thinks like the batteries keep this living thing going.
1: I think so too with Furbies.
0: They're weird. But- I'm like gone doing something and then I come back in the room and Lucy's just sitting there and she's holding the Furby and she's just like stroking his little stomach just petting him and she goes hi little Furby I know you don't know me yet and you're still asleep but that's my mommy and she said I can have you and that we're gonna be really good friends and she's just sitting there and like whispering this and petting the Furby and just saying it in the softest little voice. She doesn't know I'm there and she's just so excited. And I was like, this is the cutest freaking thing I've ever seen. But I already want to kill that Furby. I want. I already want to like throw it out the window.
1: Yeah, they make noises at random times. It's unpredictable. <sighs> They're terrifying.
0: No, it's nuts. They're nuts. They're awful. Lastly, Shane.
1: Yeah.
0: Is there an invention that you would like to rewind time on and make not invented.
1: Invention, rewind time on. Um I wish our old mall, Lymerge Mall, <laughs> could be the way it was in the 90s. I think it was the coolest mall. It had that pet store in it where you could go oh, and yeah. the, the real puppies were there. Um the food court was awesome. It had the movie theater, it had the arcade there's a whole reddit thread about limeridge mall and people are begging if anyone has photos mm. that they could show of what that time period was like and yeah for me it was i wish they never invented ways to tear down those <laughs> awesome stores
0: <laughs> no racking balls <laughs>
1: yeah because that movie theater was sweet
0: it was sweet the mall seemed so much bigger at that time like how did they fit a huge movie theater in there it was a small movie theater by movie theater standards and the still
1: stairwell big. to those movie theaters is still oh, yeah. there it's hidden but there's a door you can open for employees only and you can see that old stairwell that used oh, to that's have cool. and it's the exact same
0: the arcade was i learned sweet that too. from the
1: reddit thread really and yeah the malls the mall was so much more fun it was more fun. The old Lambridge Mall. Mm-hmm. Now it's like no arcade, no movie theater. No, How do you just, even hang at the mall? I guess the food court.
0: No, the theater was sweet. And if the theater was still going, I like that would be a huge bunny maker, right?
1: And you need slush puppies. Mm-hmm. I want a slush puppy, a red or blue or both. It went so good with New York fries.
0: See, no, now it's all about the bubble teas. All the kids like the bubble teas, which are so Because there's no gross. slush
1: puppy. <laughs> So you say if
0: they had a slush puppy, they'd choose the slush puppy over the bubble tea and they'd be like, what the hell am I thinking with this
1: bubble tea? of course. Yes. I agree. What's yours?
0: Okay. Well, (laughs) I wrote down. So I was watching Frozen 2 with the kids today. Yeah. And I was thinking like I was prepping the podcast. And as I'm prepping this question, Olaf says, advancing technologies are both our savior and our... And for some reason, I start, stopped writing it there. I'm just realizing that now. But I think he says demise or doom.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, And yeah, so like that made me think like, what, is it nuclear bombs just because that's like terrifying and terrible for the world? Or is it something like fast fashion, which is just, again, so bad for the world in so many ways and so destructive to people? Like a huge article just came out. Uh, there was like an undercover thing done at the Sheen facilities of just people getting so mistreated by the thousands and it like it, it was horrific it was horrific and i i recommend everybody goes and yeah, that's probably it out.
1: true alex but that's so heavy like can we just have well, a fun that's, answer we
0: can but that's what i was thinking of that's why i wanted you to go first that's why i brought Olaf into it
1: yeah we got infused a little bit more entertainment into this podcast i think <laughs> fast fashion like come on
0: it's informative okay edutainment if
1: people know about fast fashion though
0: well this world th-
1: hunger let's go back and okay, fix okay
0: this article might open some eyes to the extent of it
1: okay well let's fix world hunger first shame what? I,
0: think we, I think we gotta go to sleep babe it's been a long i run. know i'm
1: tired fine you're, you're bye Thanks, thank you so much for listening to <laughs> say it This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast
0: Episode 147